I got to use this. There's no, like, I know it looks weird. There's, there's like, no speakers, but I have to use this because it records the sermons. So now the podcast is going to just have me, like, explaining why I have to use the microphone. I like, look crazy. So if I get hype and I wave my hand, it's going to look like I'm doing a rap battle or something, but there's no. So y'all just bear with me, all right? But um, I told Lauren last night I was sitting there on the couch, and my Fitbit is always giving me these alerts that I'm sleep-deprived. And it'll be like, you know, sleep depravity can cause this, this, and that. I'm like, thanks a lot, Fitbit. I have a baby. So there needs to be like a baby mode on like the Fitbits and the iWatches so that you know why we're not sleeping and stuff like that. And a big portion of that is that I just sit and stare at her all day long. I can't help it. I'm just, I just stare and I'm like, you're a baby and you're beautiful. Then you poop. And I'm like, why would you do that? And I'm like, then as I'm changing her, she pees on stuff. And I'm like, Jesus, help me. And then I'm like, I got to be at work in two hours, but I can't quit staring at you. It was funny this week. It was fourth. 30, Naomi woke up, and Lauren fed her, and she gives her back to me. She's like, burp the baby, and I'm playing with her. She goes, put the baby to sleep. I'm like, okay, my bad. I'm like, let me have my moment. Like, But um, I had like a, probably about a year or two ago, I had a quarter-life crisis. I can't say midlife, but I had a quarter-life crisis, and it was, I've done ministry for nine, ten years this year coming up and stuff, and I said, you know, I've done school ministry. I've been a part of church. Um, I told people, I said, we intentionally waited a long time before getting ordained and stuff like that because I said I wanted to be on God's timing. And before I got ordained, um, it was, I guess it was almost a year and a half, two years ago, um, a year ago, I had like this quarter-life crisis where I was just like, I, I'm going to be a pastor. And I freaked out for a minute. And I was like, I don't look like a pastor. I don't act like a pastor. I don't, I don't do any stuff. So I went and got my nose pierced. That was like my quarter-life crisis moment. And Lauren is like, why would you want to do that? I said, because this is going to be like my last thing to do before I become a pastor. And if I have it before I become a pastor, I won't be that rebellious guy who doesn't look like a pastor. I had like these moments where I was trying to focus on being a good pastor. I wanted to look the part. I was like, let me get the suits. Let me get the outfits. Let me, let me make sure my hair looks perfect. And I was like, I'm so focused on being a good pastor. And I kind of just stopped and I forgot that the inward work that God is doing is going to make me a good pastor. The, the work that he's doing in my life and transformation through salvation and regeneration is what is going to define me as a good pastor. And as Paul, as we're jumping into Ephesians 4, he starts to give practical teaching as to what um, helps us to be a Christian that edifies the church of God. What we generally do as Christians, we kind of become the good Christian or the perfect Christian. And we focus on what outwardly we look like, what we're doing, how we dress. You put your swagger on. You'd be like, I came with the three-piece suit on Sunday. Hey, I'm going to look good on the front row. I'm going to be the usher passing around offering. And we focus on that's what the good Christian looks like. We, we all know what that it is. Like, you, you're there every Sunday, you're on time. I'm like, listen, the Christian life, my life is a hot mess sometimes. I'm a pastor, and I'm like, my life is a hot mess. I, I think things, I do things that are contradictory to the word of God. I mess up, I make mistakes. The kids know every time I play basketball, I'm yelling and screaming at referees. Josh has been there. And I'm gonna have to remember I'm a pastor sometimes. I remember we were at a basketball game and somebody was like, isn't that guy a pastor? And we were in a Christian basketball league. I'm about to get teed up and be kicked out. We, we make these mistakes. And then we try to focus on being a good Christian. And as Paul is giving this practical application, as, as we're learning as Christians and as new believers, when we receive practical application as to how we live a good Christian life, it has to be put into the context as to why we lead a good Christian life. 
and how God has transformed our lives and how he enables us to live these lives as a Christian. The goal in life isn't to be a good Christian. The goal is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I don't want to just say, hey, I look good on Sunday, but then throughout the week, I don't know how to follow Jesus Christ in my personal life or relationship. I said this the last couple of weeks. I'm a pastor. I get it. I know it. But if my job as a pastor isn't to get you all to a place where you can manage your own Christian life, then I've failed. Because many times, as false teachers, they'll do, they'll focus on you coming in on Sundays, getting your quick fix, and you can't sustain throughout the week. I don't want that to be our church. I want our church to be people who are strong in their individual relationship with Jesus Christ. And that means not focusing on being a good Christian, but being an individual follower who also knows how to be a corporate follower with the church of God. So I'm going to read our scripture, and then we'll jump into our teaching. I'm going to try to, I say this every week, I'm going to try to be a good Southern Baptist pastor and get us out of here in 30 minutes. It never happens. The sermons just keep getting longer and longer. I have three pages worth of notes, and I really tried to condense this last night. Um, Naomi was keeping me up, so if I'm sleepy and that's why I got my Red Bull and I sip it back, we're good. I felt like a bad father last night because we're trying to get her to sleep in her, um, her bassinet. It's just easier for me to put her on my chest and just knock out and stuff like that. But um, I just let her cry it out for 20 minutes. I'm just like, baby, you're just going to have to get this, like the screaming, the flailing. And I finally just got to a point I picked her up. She was like sweating profusely. <laughs> And, like, she's got eyebrows. So she gave me, like, the rock, like, the look, like, you smell what the rock is cooking sometimes. And she's looking at me like, what is wrong with you? And I picked her up. And she, like, immediately went back to sleep after 30 seconds. And I was like, why didn't we just ever do this before? But so I'm a little sleepy. We'll get it going. But the word says here in Ephesians 4 and verse 17, it says, Now this I say, and I testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. It says, they are darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from life, from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of their hearts, they have become callous and they have given themselves up to sensational greed, to the sensational greed, to the practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in, in Jesus. It says to put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in the true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth which he which speak the truth with his neighbor. And then for we are all members, I said we are all we are members one of another. It says verse twenty six, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. It says, and give no opportunity to the devil. It says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupt, corrupt talk come out from your mouths, but only such that is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And it says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed, for the day of redemption. It says, let all bitterness and the wrath and the anger and the clamor and the slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind with one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another 
as Jesus Christ has forgiven you. Amen. Let's pray real quick. God, we thank you for your grace. God, I thank you for the word of God that we have a chance today to open up and to, to learn from each other. Lord, I pray that um, you just use me as a vessel to speak your biblical truths. You help me, God, to be able to understand through your Holy Spirit and to teach on how we are to edify the body by living out this life of practical biblical Christian teaching. Lord, I pray today that we lay aside our own thoughts, we lay aside our own malice, we lay aside our own anger and hatred, we lay aside our own thoughts, and we humble ourselves before you and the cross, and that you are daily renewing us. You're helping us every day to die to the sins and the transgressions that, that hinder us from truly knowing who you are, but today I pray that you help us in every area as an individual to follow you, but also corporately as a church. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. 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 I like that amen, Aaron. You just hype me up right now. I don't even need the Red Bull no more. It's like I do need the Red Bull. <laughs> but it says this, our sermon series is setting, set it straight. Paul is talking to the church of Ephesus, and he's giving biblical teaching on how the church is to function. So in this, he starts to give the practical teaching. Um, when we start to talk about practical teaching, we kind of start to talk about what it means to be a good Christian and live out the Christian life. But Paul is giving this with the context and that our lives should follow after Christ. That when we're renewed by God's Holy Spirit, he helps us in all of our endeavors to do what is right, to do what is righteous, to do what is holy for the edification of the church. That's the key part right there. The, the first three chapters, Paul in verse chap in chapter 1, he talked about the spiritual blessing we have in Jesus Christ by receiving salvation. Chapter 2, he talks about the salvation by grace that we receive, by faith. He reminds us that we were all dead in our sins and our trespasses. Every single person, no matter the race, creed, color, culture, status, we all were dead in our sins and we needed Jesus Christ to forgive us. And it was through his grace and by following God by faith that we receive salvation, not of our works. And he continues on and he teaches that we have to be in unity with God and that we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. And then he starts to hit something that was um, theologically different. He says then, he says, hey, listen, I have this special task that I am to unite the Jews and the Gentiles. I am to unite these people who are so opposed to each other, but it's done by the blood of Jesus Christ because he sees and he knows that there is value in God's church being diverse. There's going to be diverse giftings. There's going to be diverse callings. There's going to be diverse works that individuals are going to have. I can't sing like Ethan. I can harmonize like Ethan. And that's going to be a calling and a gift that he has to edify the church. There's going to be people who are going to be able to do counseling and teaching, and you're going to be able to bring different things to the table. And we can't devalue each other, but we've got to look at the fact that God has called us as individuals who look, talk, and act differently, but we are to be together in the body of Christ. And there's value that we are all broken pieces who are being built together into God's masterpiece and our goal as a church on the west side is that we're different people, races, creeds, colors, cultures. And God sees this diversity and he brings it together and he says, this is my church and I have value for it and I love it. And we're going to do effective work in our community through Jesus Christ here on the west side and in Charleston. So Paul teaches this for the church as a whole. 
But then he starts to talk about that our new lives in Christ are to be experienced, these people as Gentiles, people who aren't Jews. That would be kind of like us. We didn't grow up in the Jewish faith and the Jewish culture. These new lives as Gentiles that they are doing, he's giving them practical examples on how the church and its members are to build up each other. And he first starts with telling them, you have to renew your mind. You have to be transformed. You can no longer live by the old way that you were living, that life. There's two things that I could see here as he's, as he's teaching about being a, a good believer and a good follower. It, it beckons the thought of being a good Christian. It's two things I see what happen when you become, when you try to be a good Christian as opposed to being a follower of Christ. Two things happen when application turns into striving to be a good Christian as opposed to being a follower. We, with the quotations, we try to be a good Christian by following the do's and the don'ts. You know, you can do this and this and this. Like, in the, um, like when Jesus had to fight the Pharisees and Sadducees, it was like, you can work on a Sunday if you do this, but that's the Sabbath, so you can't pick up your mat and roll it and walk down the street. Someone's going to tell me that I can't take my bed with me on a Sunday. I'm probably going to fight them. That's a part of me getting my Christian life right. There were so many different laws that were added to what God's word had said to do that it was becoming taxing on them. And instead of becoming a, a good follower of God, people were just trying to be a good Christian because they were trying to appease what the Pharisees and the Sadducees wanted them to be. In New Age Christianity, let's just be real, sometimes as pastors, we set forth things that are, are just the standard of the church. You've got to come with your suit and tie on if you want to be a good Christian. Or you, you have to tithe this amount of money if you want to be a good Christian. Or, or, or you need to look to and watch this to be a good Christian. But we never give why these things are reasonable in our application. But then also there are things that we put on people's lives that are not a part of being a good Christian. And it becomes taxing and it becomes burdening and it becomes mentally and spiritually and spiritually, physically just harming to us. We get so concerned, as I did when I had my court life crisis. I said, I'm so concerned right now with being a good Christian and looking the part that I'm not focused on my inward work of God, preparing my heart to be where I need to be. We don't talk about the process to the promise. We don't talk about how biblical leaders in the Bible, when you look at Moses, how he spent 40 years on the backside of a desert before he was put into his place of the calling of God. And he was able to bring a whole nation into redemption because he was able to follow the process to the promise. He didn't focus on being a good Christian or being a good leader, but he said, God, I choose to follow you even if it cost me something. If it's going to take me 40 years for me to get to the place where God wants me to be, am I willing to follow after God because I trust him enough? Or do I just want to look the part? There's many good people out there. There's many good people who do good works for the kingdom of God. I said this last week. Matthew 7 talks about how there's going to be many people who feel as though they're working for the kingdom of God. In Matthew 7, it talked about how Jesus spoke and he said to them, as they came to Jesus Christ, he said, there's going to be people come to heaven and say, Lord, Lord, I cast out demons in your name. I fed the hungry in your name. I did all these works in your name. But God is going to say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, because I never knew you. That's hard to think that the perfect person who looks like they fit the model and the mold of a Christian, they could one day go to heaven and 
the word says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, because I never knew you. They never invested into a personal relationship to follow after God. I can look the role as well as I, as I can. Like, it's politician season. People look the role really well, but inwardly, I think, like, is your life really going to glorify what you're saying? Are you truly wanting to help the people who are in need? Are you truly in that place that you were so worried about someone else's language, but you're not worried about 14,000 people who die every night of starvation? So when we talk about the good Christian life, the standards of the do's and the don'ts, can be taxing and burdensome. But when you follow after Jesus Christ, when you focus on the second part that happens when you try to be a good Christian, um, the other part of that is that you start to depend on your good works as justification of your faith. I, I, I gave this amount, and I've got my name on a building and, and my works, and I fed, like we said, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. When you start to live these two things, when you try to be the good Christian, you're ultimately going to falter and you're ultimately going to fail. I gave the example last week. I'm not going to do it again because I thought I was going to fall and hurt myself. But I gave the example when Jesus talked about in seven, when he was talking about the workers of iniquity, he also said, those who love me, they follow my teaching and, and my words. Those who don't, it's like they built their life and their faith on a sand foundation. And when the torrents and then the winds came in life, they weren't able to sustain. I'm sorry. I don't know why my alarm's going off. Maybe it's telling me I need to hurry up and quit preaching. <laughs> But it says this, he's telling them, he says, don't build your life on this sandy foundation. Build your life on a firm foundation, the word of God that's going to sustain you. When you read the word of God and when you start to look at what he wants you to do in life, it's an understanding. It's not a do's and a don'ts, but it's a guideline to keep you safe as you're walking out this Christian life. I have freedoms to walk out in the middle of the street right now, but if I get hit, that's on me. You can control your actions, but you can't control your consequences. But as we're living this Christian life, Jesus is giving us the tools through his Holy Spirit to be able to live out and to do this practical application. God is more concerned with you becoming, God is not more, I'm sorry, God is not concerned with you becoming a good Christian, but rather a true follower of Jesus Christ in your life. I'm saying it again because I jacked it all up. But God is not concerned with you becoming a, quote, good Christian, but rather a true follower, a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. So then when you receive the application that um, Paul is teaching here from your, your parishioner, from your pastor, it has to be viewed in the whole context of teaching that your life is going to be transformed so you can edify the church and the people around you to build them up in this church body and this family. God wants us to live as people who glorify him so his Holy Spirit can live in us so we can take it out there for the community. Amen, Quentin? Amen. So this is what I believe here is that any person can live as a good Christian and do the works for Christ, as it says in Matthew 7, but not inherit the kingdom of God. So how then do we learn on how to become a follower of Jesus Christ? It starts with us understanding that we have to be regenerated, we have to be reborn in Jesus Christ. That means a personal time when you say, I've received salvation to Jesus Christ, and you commit not to the world, but you commit to Jesus Christ and following after him and his teachings. 
truly understanding the word for yourself, understanding that when you commit to Jesus Christ, you then are physically and mentally transformed in your mind and everything that you do because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and he's allowing you this extra amount of grace to be able to overcome situations that feel insurmountable. Paul the Apostle, this has been my quote, says in, in Philippians 4.13, he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because he esteemed to follow after Jesus Christ and do the work and the mission because he gave everything that he had sacrificially to follow Jesus Christ, all for the kingdom of God and for others to come after him. All for that. It means that when we start to build in this practical application, we have to view it as a means to build up the body of Christ and the kingdom of God. The practical application and the teaching is for us to build each other up because we can't do this by ourselves. The scary part about um, living as a good Christian, kind of the quotations there, is not talking about how our, our body is built together. The follower lays down his life, thoughts, and actions to Christ so he can be transformed. But a part of that is also understanding that we have to live in biblical Christian fellowship. It, it's scary to me um, when I talk to brothers and sisters and they're not in good Christian fellowship because the enemy is seeking to prounce and to prowl on us and to take away any person he can. It's hard to live a Christian life by yourself. This is, it's honest. I'm just, even as an adult, I, I've said this in the last couple of weeks, I said I had some righteous anger a couple of weeks ago, and I had to go and repent. I had to go back and say I, I'm focused on the wrong things in this moment. I can have righteous anger. I can be angry and upset about something, but it's how my actions manifest really shows who I follow. So a part of living the Christian life is knowing that the practical application that Paul is teaching here is for us to be able to manifest in those moments when we're tempted, when, when the enemy is trying to speak to us and he's, and he's telling us we're not worthy and we're not going to make it. And when he tries to tempt us to do wrong, it's the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us in that moment as a follower, gives us strength to overcome all these situations. When pride creeps in into the moment in the night, or with that temptation to turn the other direction, it's Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, that helps us to do so. And it's focusing us on the word of God so that we can inherit the kingdom of God for our brothers and sisters. Followers are concerned with edifying the body and living to serve Christ sacrificially. If we look at the life of Jesus Christ, he was able to do the works of God because he was the son of God and he walked in such close relationship with God, the Holy Spirit guided him and his concern was to do his father's will and for those who came after him. I believe that as we live as followers of Christ, our life is gonna be transformed into a way that we're not so much concerned about our own personal lives, our own personal safety, but our life is transformed to care more about our brothers and sisters and those who are around us. You know what I, what I, I thought I knew what love was until I had KK and Naomi? I thought I knew what it meant to love someone until I held my baby in my hands. I said, I will do anything in the world for you. Even when you're pooping and farting and keep me up all night long, I kind of love is the love that, parents, you all understand this. It's unexplainable. But it's because in that moment, you're starting to learn to live for something greater than yourself. 
Paul is giving practical application because he's saying, hey, listen, you're coming to personal salvation, Gentiles. No longer live in the old way in life. You don't have to be that way anymore. For your own personal salvation, you need to follow after Jesus Christ, but also to edify this church and this body. We, we need to work together and build each other up. In my study Bible, it had this direct quote, and I'm just going to read it to you guys. It says that Christians can fear that any mistake will destroy their witness for the Lord. It says they see, excuse me, they see their own mistakes and their weaknesses, and they know that many non-Christians seem to be stronger in their character than they do. So how can we grow up into Christ? The answer is that Christ forms us into a body, a group of individuals who are united in their purpose and in their love for one another, for the Lord. If an individual stumbles, the rest of the group is there to pick him up or her up and to help him or her to walk with God. If an individual sins, he or she can find restoration through the church, even as the rest of the body witnesses to God's truths as a part of Christ's body. Do you reflect the part of Christ's character and carry out your special role in his work? I'm going to read it one more time. It says that Christians can fear that any mistake will destroy their witness for God. It says they see their own mistakes. They see their own weaknesses. They know that many non-Christians may seem stronger in their character than they do. And how can we grow up in Christ? The answer is Christ forms us into a body, a group of individuals who are united in their purpose and their love for one another, for the Lord. If any individual stumbles, the rest of the group is there to pick him or her up and for him or her to walk with God again. If an individual sins, he or she can find restoration through the church, even as the rest of the body witnesses to God's truths as a part of Christ's body. Do you reflect this part of Christ's character to carry out your special role in his work? I probably send that because I think that's something, as we're growing in Risen City, that we should reflect on. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to falter. We're going to fail. We're going to have our actions to maybe not always reflect Jesus Christ. But I can depend on people like Ethan to help me when I feel selfish with the resources that God has given me to humble me, to understand that, that I can continue to grow and edify the church and give me biblical correction. I, as, a, as a father, I know I'm going to make mistakes when I'm going to go to the Robinsons and be like, how did y'all do this? How do we grow? How do we figure these things out? All of us together, as we are learning in biblical application, are growing as a family. We can't do it alone. Paul is teaching here in our breakdown of the scripture. We're going to break it down real quick and we'll be kind of dismissed out to take communion and stuff. But he's telling him, he's saying, you are to be transformed in your mind. You are to cast away the old things so you can be edification to the church. And then he tells them how are practical ways that we can live because I want to lift up my brothers and sisters and also keep myself. So it's the thought that I say, if my brother is watching my back and I'm watching my brother's back in front of me, I'm covered on both sides. If my Christian brother has my front side and somebody else has my back side, if I falter or fail, if I mess up or I make a mistake, they're there to lift me up. Why? Because I'm also going to be here when my brother needs me. But I can't focus on being the good Christian. I've got to focus on being a follower of Jesus Christ. 
And as the church is growing, we are all following for the same goal. So the breakdown is this. And in verse 17, it says that, it says, Now this I say to you, testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. As a, a follower, we are reborn and we are no longer bound to the thoughts of the world and as the world does. We're no longer bound to the sin and the shame that comes with the trespasses that we lived with Jesus Christ. Paul was talking about earlier in chapter 1 and 2, he said, you were dead in your trespasses and your sins. None of us were worthy of God, but it was by the grace of God and you following in faith that he renewed us and brought us in. You were not an afterthought. You were always in God's mindset and he loved you and he cared about you enough to say that when he formed the earth and even before the earth and heaven and earth was being born, he knew the mistakes that we were going to make, but he put in a plan for salvation through Jesus Christ. He values us for who we are. That should be one of the greatest motivators for our lives. The world may devalue you, but God says, I have affirmed you. And when you were reborn, you were brought back to the regeneration as Adam was in the Garden of Eden before sin crept in. Sin is still lurking, but we are regenerated and we now have access to overcome the world. But he tells us in verse 18 that the Gentiles, they were darkened in their understanding. They were alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance that was in them due to their hardened hearts. 19 says that they became callous and they had given themselves up to sensational greed and to practice and everything that was of an impurity. Enlightening and hardened hearts, they refused to follow and submit after God. These are people who didn't believe in God, but these are also people who believed in Jesus Christ. As we are functioning as a church, we are to submit ourselves to Jesus Christ. We become hardened when we start to believe that my individual and personal life and the actions and the way that I live my life is greater than what the scripture says. When we start to live our lives in a way where we start to think and to say, my life that I'm living or this sin that I'm living to fester, this, this thing that I, that I believe may be half right and half wrong, when you don't submit it, God, it hardens your heart. And then you know what you do when we have unresolved sin? We hide it. And you know what we then start to try to do? We start to cover it with good works. And then we try to focus on just being a good Christian outwardly. Because if you look the good Christian part, the people around you don't know that your world and your sin and this unresolved thing may be festering inside of you because you're hardened in your heart. That's why it's important to have biblical fellowship and to come and confess our sins to our brothers and sisters so we can lift up each other and edify each other in the church of God. Paul is saying here, listen, before I give you this biblical teaching, you got to understand that you can't be ignorant in your own thoughts and your understanding. You can't be callous. You can't be hard because you'll never receive the biblical teaching because then what you'll start to do when you're hardened in your heart to sin and things that are incorrect, you then look at the biblical practical teaching as the do's and the don'ts. And then you look at the don'ts that God has given you as restrictions to the life that you believe that you are privy to live. But if I lay my life down to Jesus Christ, I surrender it willingly, knowing that his life and his teaching is better for me than what the world has. I said this the other day. I said, life is tough already in the world, but I guarantee you it's harder without Jesus Christ. Life is tough no matter where you may be. Even if it looks like the rich person who has money, the person who has everything, life is tough, yo. I saw a Bob Marley quote. I never thought I'd quote him. 
Bob Marley quote at church. But um, my friend posted it. He said, he says, some people are so poor, all they have is money. It hit me hard. I was like, sheesh, that's deep right there. I got my, my keys out, and I was snapping. I was like, go ahead. All they have is money. Because what we look at when we start to look at our lives, we think that life is hard when you don't have monetary gain or, or, or physical things in our life. When Life is hard when you are spiritually in a place of dismay, when you don't know who you are called to be. You feel voided in your life. You feel as though there are places that are missing, and we try to fill it with everything else in the world as opposed to following after Christ. And it kind of ties in with the thought that the good Christian looks good, but the follower's heart is in alignment with Jesus Christ. The heart. Listen, you can be poor as all get out, living in a gutter, knowing that you have nothing. But if your heart is right with Jesus Christ, there is a joy that you can't even explain because you know spiritually where your life is at, and you know that your life is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and you are inheriting the kingdom of God. So it just continues, and we skip over to verse 22 for the sake of time. Paul then starts to teach about how we have got to put off the old self, which belongs to the former manner of life, and is corrupt through the old ways, which belongs to our sinful desires. And in verse 23, he says to us that we have to be renewed in the spirit and in our minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness. Romans 6 and 6 really teaches this, and it, it's easy to say put off the old life, but you've got to give understanding how do you put off the old life? How, how do we overcome this stuff? In Romans 5 and 6 and 7, really great teaching. Paul just talks about, he says, I, I do what I don't want to do. He just talks about the struggle with sin. He's just like, I, I do what I don't want to do. I, I sin, but I don't want to do it. I want to come to this understanding. When I talked to KK this week, when she talked about how she accepted Jesus Christ, she was like, I have this, this, this heart. In my, this hurt in my heart when, when I know that I have these thoughts and they're wrong and I'm jealous and I don't, I don't want to be jealous and I don't want to sin like this. And what do I do in this moment? What's, what's happening? I told her, I said, if you've received Jesus Christ, you have the power to overcome it when you confess that sin and you lay it down to God. It's not always going to feel like it. It's not always going to feel like that. But feelings can't lead you to faith, but faith can lead you to feelings. So when we read in Romans 6, as Paul is talking about how we are dead to sin and alive in God, he tells us in verse six in, um, chapter 6 and verse 6, he says, We know that the old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. You no longer are enslaved to sin in the old way when you commit yourself to Jesus Christ and when you have died to that sin. That's why I'm excited about baptism. I'm just going to talk for a minute about this. It's because it shows the outward sign that you have died to that sin. It's buried with Christ. It's dead there in the water, and you come up renewed as an outward sign of the works that you've done in life. It's exciting when we talk about and we see the regeneration that God can do in our lives when we commit to being a follower of Jesus Christ. So we put on the, old, the new self, which means that expressing the new positive side of our transformation, 
when you put on the new side, then you can express the new side. You ever just seen those people just like chip chipper Christians? Like they kind of get on your nerves a little bit. Like let's just be real. Like good day is great. Yeah, Jesus, I'm happy. Like Lord's good. You know Matthew something. They just quote it off the top of their head. They're like overly excited. I said I want to be that Christian one day in life. Just like I mean one of my friends, I love him to death, Pastor Philip Dunn. If you ever get a chance to meet a pastor, Philip Dunn is that guy. But man, he encourages me every single time. He carries these little. I don't even know what the heck they are. They're like little Bible verses of encouragement. And I'm like, I'm on a text message thread for him. Like every Monday, he hits me with some stuff that convicts me and makes me feel good. He makes me feel bad about being a pastor sometimes. I'm like, man, that's goals in life. But he's just so encouraging. He's just so excited. The Lord actually healed him. He talked about for years and getting his sight back. And he saw the miracle of God that he got an infection of his eye. He was blind. He got an infection in his eye. And God was able through this infection to heal both of his eyes. And he was actually brought back from being blind. Crazy faith. Because even me, I was just like, man, you ain't going to see again. But he was so committed to being a follower of God. He said, I know my healing is coming. That's just a side note. We got to go visit his church sometime. But he is the manifestation of living in the positive, transformed side of Jesus Christ. That from the joy in your heart that you have from Jesus Christ, you spring forth this, this new well of love and appreciation that you were a part of Christ's body and that you are being edified by the word of God as a part of a church family, but you can provide edification for your brothers and sisters around you. What does that look like? We talked last week about how God has given the gifts of the apostles, the pastors, and the teachers. That's great, but how do we as individuals edify the church? Because I believe that your all's role is as much, if not important, more, more important, there. God, thank God Lauren's not here, more important than my role sometimes in building our church body. The whole point of me is being a shepherd to prepare you all to edify each other, to grow with each other. So when Paul is giving this teaching, he's talking now as a shepherd again. And he says this in verse 25. He starts giving the practical teaching on how we are able to show our new lives and express it to our brothers and sisters around you. Verse 25, he says, Therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each other speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are all members of our brothers and sisters. Let the speech that we have edify each other. And grow each other in truth. It says, don't lie, essentially. Be truthful with each other. That's hard sometimes as young people or when you want to pipe yourself up to look good. Don't lie to each other. Be truthful. And as true brothers and sisters, you know what we'll do? We'll forgive each other. We'll love each other. And we'll accept each other through it all. Verse 26, it says, this has been for me for a couple of weeks. I'm just like, Jesus, help me with this. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Be angry, but do not sin. It's okay to have righteous anger about something. I had a lot of righteous anger two weeks ago when I saw an injustice in our city, and it angered me so bad. I got on Facebook, and I posted something, and I had to take it down, and I was like, God, I don't know what to do with this anger right now. I see injustices. I see people who, who, who just feel as though, and they look as though they have all this power and authority, and I feel like I can't do anything about it. I'm angry about this because, God, you're telling me to fight injustice. When I read through Isaiah 1, it says, the people in the church, you're not doing right by me and by God, and you're telling me to take care of the widows and the orphans, but those who are out in the world, they're put up on these pedestals, and they're put up so high, and they have this power and authority, and they're so corrupt and unjust. 
God, how do I manage that in life? How, how do I navigate this? I'm angry right now. And through the teaching of God, he allows us to learn to be patient, to learn to operate in grace, to learn how to live in a place where we allow ourselves to be shepherded by brothers and sisters in Christ. Two weeks ago, I had to go and get biblical counsel for myself from pastoral friends. I said, God, I need help in this situation because I said, I, I shouldn't be like this right now. And I remember going to my pastor brothers and sisters, and in that moment, I had to think to myself, I said, thank God I did not put myself into a place where I let my actions pull me away from following after Jesus Christ. Because so quickly it can happen when we're angry. We're angry, we flip over a chair, we say something that spews anger and hatred towards someone. There are situations in our city and in the world around us that I see and it hurts to see young people and lives taken away. But I'm like, I can't spew my anger and hatred towards certain things and towards other people. Why? Because that's not Christ-like. It's just simply said, it ain't Christ-like. I, I, we can't get any more simple than that. But God gives us the grace, and I also believe that in due time, he gives us a platform, and he gives us a privilege, and he gives us a place to be able to speak and to teach and to be able to do this work if we're patient. We don't talk about how Jesus Christ, when he came and died on the cross, it was in God's perfect timing. He was willing and able to follow after God on this earth for three years. Because in, in John 5, he talks so much about all I want to do is my father's will. I could imagine Jesus could probably just be like, let me just do it now, God. Let me, just, let me just knock this bad boy out. Let me, I can imagine. This is just like me as I follow God sometimes. But how do you live in a place of patience? Be angry and sin not. Don't allow the sin and the hatred to stick with you. You know what it talks about in James? It talks about confessing your sin to your brothers and sisters so we're able to manage these things. So allowing us not to let a day go by when that sin consumes us like a poison. So it continues on, and it says here, I know, y'all, I'm trying to get us out of here. What time is this? Stuff? But Lauren's over here saying, is anybody coming? What time is it, y'all? Okay, it's 12 on 9. I got two minutes left. You got me two minutes? Two minutes, okay? Lauren's thinking we're out of church right now. I may be more like a missionary Baptist pastor. We, we may have to, like, co-align with each other, you know. I, listen, I grew up in a black Southern Baptist church in South Carolina. We didn't get out of church till 1.30, 2 o'clock. And then we came back at 4.30 for prayer, and then we had 6 o'clock church. And then, you know, if the Lord led, we just, we just, we just stayed at church all Sunday and stuff like that. Um, so it says here in verse 27, it says, And give no opportunity for the devil. Verse 28, it says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor and do honest work for his hands, so that he may have something to share with anybody who is in need. Which means just don't continue with the old works, but allow your works now in your hands and the things that God has given you as tools to be able to edify the kingdom of God. Verse 29 through 31, it says, Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such that is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to your brothers and sisters. We build each other up, y'all. It's so easy to look at somebody else's life and their sin and their mistakes and sit here and think about how I can judge them, but yet and still we don't look at the, we look at the plank that's in our brother's eye, we don't look at the log that's in my eye. I'm real bad about this. As also as a pastor, I look at other pastors and preachers and ministers, and I'm like, mm, well, I would have done this. And then I got to pull myself back and be like, man, I'm not that pastor. 
God, please allow me to edify my brothers and sisters. Let me pray for them. You know, when you got the big $20,000 screen at your church, I'll be thinking, Jesus, thank you for the, the free TV that we got from the IRS that donated it to us, and it serves the same purpose in our church. I don't want to sit here and have hatred and angry, it's anger, anger and malice towards somebody else, but God, give me the grace in this moment to edify and speak life unto my brothers and sisters. Verse 30, it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, which means that we cause God's sorrow by our sins. Let us confess these things to God. And in verse 31, it says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger, clamor and slander be put away from all of us with our malice and be kind to one another and tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ has forgiven us. Forgiving our brothers and sisters. That ain't easy, y'all. That is not easy at all. I had a really good conversation earlier. I was talking with Jim just about things. Um, and it's one of those things that if you don't allow yourself to forgive, even in situations where you may see yourself personally have been attacked or historically being attacked, you don't allow God to be able to be put into the situation and allow yourself to be a unit and an agent of change for rectification. Because if not, you allow then that same cycle of hatred and malice to continue on. Jesus Christ stepped in at the right time to bring us all together when we needed him. He was able to sacrificially do so, even at the cost of his own life. So can we do so with our brothers and sisters and those who are around us when it feels as though it's impossible? Amen? Amen. We're going to take a little bit of time now. Um, we have our communion back here. We asked if you are a baptized believer, we partake of it. We do it every other week. Um, Listen, y'all got, we got generous portions because I do believe in us taking time to eat and take a fellowship. And we're going to do fellowship after this in my crib. Y'all can come on over. Lauren's like, if people come and I'm about to be like, yeah, we're going to be there. But um, this is a time for us as I remember reading through our confessional. When we take of the elements, it's a time for us to remember what Jesus Christ has done for us, how he has forgiven us. And also how he is setting us forth on this path and that his blood covers all of our sins as he renews us together. So what we'll do is we'll get our, um, we'll take up the elements. If you guys want to go and take up the elements and we'll bring them back and we'll collectively come and take this together. Amen.